DIY and How Studios presents Real Rock with Andy King, part of the Rock and Roll Archaeology Project. Amps go up to 10. Exactly. Does that mean it's louder? Is it any louder? Well, it's one louder, isn't it? Music. Culture. Technology. And rock and roll. Now, on with the show. I am, he is, you are, he is, you are me, and we are talking movies. Specifically, we'll be discussing the 1967 Beatles film, The Magical Mystery Tour. I will be talking about various points of the film, so consider this your spoiler warning. You can buy the disc on Amazon, or better yet, head down to your local brick-and-mortar DVD store and pick one up. Some of the questions we will be answering today are, Will my aunt take the same amount of verbal abuse as Ringo's aunt? Can I plan my own magical mystery tour? And who is the damn walrus? It's not me. I'm Andy King, host of Real Rock, and this is the Magical Mystery Tour. Please enjoy yourselves within the limits of British decency. In May, they released Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band to much-deserved acclaim. Now, a normal band in 1967 would have toured to support the record, but by this point, the Beatles were done playing live. You can check out episode 14 of our main narrative for a complete look at this decision. As Lennon would note, quote, If stage shows were to be out, something had to replace them. Television was the obvious answer, end quote. The Beatles were not rookies to film, having starred in A Hard Day's Night and Help, but this film would not fare as well as those did. But I don't want to spoil the review just yet. The original idea for the film was to do an improvisational mockumentary based on the mystery trips which were popular in England at the time. A mystery trip would pick you up and drive you overnight to a surprise location. McCartney would be further inspired by the Ken Kesey tours of the Merry Pranksters. Paul had become somewhat obsessed with home recording at the time and used this shot style in the film. It's too bad they didn't have Britain's unintentionally funniest home videos because Bob Saget would totally give this the grand prize. A formal script was not submitted, just a collection of ideas they would improvise around. Paul referred to this as a scrupt. To get the actors, we looked through the actors book, the spotlight or whatever. Oh, we need someone like that, someone like that. And we needed the large lady. Uh, as my auntie, because I was going to play this person with his auntie. And uh, John and I went to pick up George, and we met the bus, but Paul jumped off the bus and he said, i got to tell you one thing about your auntie. <laughs> well, what's that? She stinks. <laughs> Do you want to go on with this? <laughs> so, well, let's see what it's like. 
<laughs> the film opens with Ringo and his Aunt Jessie power walking to catch the bus for the afternoon trip. Once on the bus, we start to meet the supporting cast. These include tour guide Jolly Jimmy Johnson, played by Derek Royal, the lovely starlet, played by Maggie Wright, and the strange buster blood vessel, played by Ivor Cutler. John Lennon provides the narration and lets us know about a secret plan of five magicians to control the events of the trip. Why these five magicians couldn't control the direction of the movie is beyond me, but I digress. We get a shot of Paul daydreaming and immediately cut to Paul Solo doing Full on the Hill. Paul and some friends went to the south of France to film this sequence, which was against Union rules at the time. But damn the man. The end result's actually a good music video for a pretty good Beatles song. Day after day Alone on a hill The man with the foolish grin Is keeping perfectly still But nobody wants to know him They can see that he's just a fool And he never gives an answer But the fool on the hill Sees the sun going down and the eyes in his head see the world spinning round. After a brief interlude on the bus, we stop by a military office, then to an airfield for some midget wrestling and a brief race. Ringo wins the race by commandeering the bus. We then get a mosaic clip of B-roll footage for the song Flying. Then we cut to the magician lair with the five magicians discussing where the bus is heading. I don't think I have the words to describe just how weird those magicians' costumes are, but I'll try. Imagine a very flamboyant eight-year-old showing up to a Dungeons & Dragons campaign in a homemade costume. Yep, that's it. Back on the bus, Aunt Jessie is fantasizing about being romantic with Buster Blood Vessel. This somehow segues into the video for I Am The Walrus. If you isolate the walrus video and watch it by itself, it's a pretty great music video. But who was the walrus? Well, we know that in the song Glass Onion, John says the walrus was Paul, but was he? John is the one singing I Am The Walrus, so there's that. On the cover, John is wearing a walrus costume. Paul is wearing the hippopotamus costume. Ringo is the chicken, and George is the rabbit. But, if you look at the album cover under the track list for the song, there's a handwritten note that says, No, you're not. So, to answer the definitive question, the walrus is John, except when it isn't. One other piece of trivia to note, the Eggman was John's nickname for the animal's lead singer, Eric Burden. The two attended an orgy in 1966, and Burden liked to crack eggs open on naked ladies. I know you think I'm making that up, but that's a true story. Back on the bus, Aunt Jessie is having a dream where a waiter, played by John Lennon, is shoveling spaghetti onto her plate and she can't handle all the spaghetti. During filming, John had this scene as a dream. He told Paul and they decided to film it. The image of John with that creepy ass face he's making is surreal and that one snapshot pretty much sums up the experience of watching this film. You know those Saturday Night Live sketches that never seem to end? It's kind of like that. 
back on the bus, we stop at another airfield and everyone gets in to see a psychedelic video of Blue Jay Way. Well, calling it a video is a bit of a stretch. Let's cut that again. Everyone gets to watch George meditate while Blue Jay Way plays in Technicolor. We see the magicians again, who cast a spell or something, to make everyone on the bus sing songs. At this time, they're also passing beers around, which may be more influential than the magicians, but that's what beers are for. The men are then treated to a strip tease provided by Jan Carson and the performance of the song Death Cab for Cutie by the Bonzo Dog Doodah Band. I implore all you diggers out there to look up the Bonzos. They are wonderful. Death Cab for Cutie was a phrase coined by Richard Hogarth in his 1957 book, The Uses of Literacy. In 1997, an indie pop group would co-opt the name. After listening to a Death Cab for Cutie record in preparation for this episode, they should have taken the name Melancholy for a closed hot topic, but whatever. The film closes on a choreographed dance number to your mother should know, and credits. Doing improvisational comedy is hard and it should be left to the professionals. There's a reason this show is scripted. I think they went into this thinking they could recreate A Hard Day's Night, but they didn't have the writing prowess of Alan Owen. It seemed as though the Beatles had made their first big misstep. Paul pretty much publicly apologized, but years later in the Beatles anthology, both Paul and Ringo expressed their fondness for the film, with Ringo describing it as being quite fun. To be honest though, I'm still a little miffed by Ringo and Aunt Jessie's constant bickering. Maybe it's because I have an Aunt Jessie. If you can't tell from my accent, I am a southern boy. And southern aunts will not let you get away with Ringo level backtalk. I tried, but I think I just ended up confusing my Aunt Jessie. Hey Aunt Jessie, it's Andy. Hey Andy. You haven't been the same since Uncle Jack died. Who's Uncle Jack? Uncle Jack. That didn't answer my question. Who's Uncle Jack? He's Uncle Jack. You you were married to to Uncle Jack. Well, I have no memory of this. I I've been uh I've been quoting uh lines from uh the Beatles movie Magical Mystery Tour. I I wanted to see how you would react because Ringo like bickers with his aunt the whole time. I ain't had no use for the Beatles since the smart aleck one said he was taller than Jesus. How tall do you think Jesus was? Taller than anyone I ever knew. It's one thing to be tall, Andy. It's another thing to say that you're taller than Jesus, because he ain't much taller than 
Jesus. This went on for quite some time, and I won't subject you to that. But, putting John Lennon's attacks on the Messiah's height aside, the actual idea for Magical Mystery Tour seems pretty cool. I contacted travel agent Amy Schwartz to see if it was possible to plan my own mystery tour. I just hope you can get something out of it, because I had a hard time correlating from a travel agent standpoint. Like, what the hell? I mean, what are you concocting? And if I, if I made a tour up like that, I think, you know, people would be wanting their money back, you know, something like that. <laughs> I, I tried to look at it from that point of view, or if I was a passenger on that bus, what would I be thinking? Because I still don't know what those people were doing on the bus. So Amy, what did you know about the Beatles before you watched the movie? I loved the Beatles as a kid. I had an older sister and brother, so I grew up with their albums. And I was all about the cute Paul and the nerdy Ringo and the intellectual George and loved them but the pop stuff of it after they got into that hippie dopey dope phase i i was out i'm like i'm done (laughs) after sergeant peppers yeah as an adult i can appreciate that a lot more now okay but after watching this movie i was really disappointed i'm like oh my god they failed me they actually let this be released they actually made something like this i didn't know the beatles could fail ethically Okay. That's definitely a take on it. I'm curious what specifically I didn't get made you it. think it was a fail. I guess I always just think there should be a beginning, a middle, and an end to a movie. They had no direction. Okay, and I'll posit that to you in a different way. Okay. Brian was a manager. Correct. He kept him in line. I, I mean, not in but line, not even, but you know what I mean. Just He kept the ball rolling so they could keep doing what they needed to do. Yeah, those, they're creatives. Yeah. And when they showed up somewhere, they just assumed all the incidentals were going to be taken care of. So that's why this movie just feels like... Because none of the incidentals are taken care of. No. I'm Paul McCartney. I'm the Beatles. We're the Beatles. We have this idea. We're going to get it done. And we're going to take 30 of our friends with us. And here you go. (laughs) That's just... If I tried to make a tour like that, you know, hey, come on, we're just going to hop on a bus and... Wherever it goes, I don't think people would be too happy with me. To take a mystery tour, that was a popular yes. thing to do. I mean, would it still be... Would it still Would that be fly popular? today? Yes. In the... Yeah, it would. And if we throw in midget wrestling, marathon running, and strippers, I'm sure I could sell that out. Maybe even fill two buses. I'm sure that might be popular with a certain crowd. Yes. Running on I, the Dude, I'm totally for it. <laughs> <laughs> like that's that's why I want to we'll take a tour around the Bible Belt here, and you know, we have plenty of little places that we can stop along the way. The only thing I'd be uh, I don't know about midget wrestling around here, and if uh, because you are a travel agent, yes, and if I were to call you and say I want to book a mystery tour for me and thirty of my friends, I want you to stop at like a couple of different places. So we can stretch our legs, little adventures like here and there, but we don't want to know where we end up. We want it to be a mystery at the end. It's funny you do say it that way because there are companies that have started to do that and it seems to kind of be growing in popularity. Maybe not so much bus tours, but there are one or two travel companies I know of that will 
set you down, kind of do like a real intensive interview, you know, what do you like, what don't you like, where have you been, where have you always wanted to go, and they'll create a mystery vacation for you. And that's kind of gaining in popularity, but you really got to know your client well <laughs> before doing that. Right. But they are, that that is a segment of the industry. There are people who have started to do that, and it's kind of cool. I have not had that request yet. So, I'm open to all suggestions. <laughs> but what would I mean? I think it'd be harder to do that in North Carolina. I think other states would be a lot easier to 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 partake of a lot more of that. Oh yeah. Colorado would be fantastic because it could be enhanced dramatically. It would. I I mean there had to be some sort of psychedelics involved in that. What to, in the yeah in the movie? In movie? Oh god, that, that whole movie's an drugs. acid trip. I has to because especially those colored landscapes. When but yeah, I'm like, okay, here's your moment of zen. So a lot of those, a lot of those landscapes come from uh, Doctor Strangelove. It was B-roll from Doctor Strangelove because the production assistant had worked on both movies. Okay. Okay. Cool. And in order to kind of get away with it, they tinted them. And the first time this played was on BBC with no Black color. Black and white, which kills me. Is why would they? That's the other tidbit I found interesting. <clears throat> they knew it was the Beatles. They knew it was Boxing Day, that it was going to debut on TV. Why would you show it in black and white? Because BBC Two had color, right. but there wasn't as much viewership. Why not gain the viewership and put it on BBC Two? Because that whole thing was destroyed by not showing it in color. But even so, I, I don't think To be think fair, I watched it in color and still didn't like I it. I know. No, I didn't either. I, 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 and I was listening <laughs> to some interview Paul gave back in, in 69. He said, oh, in 10 years' time, people will recognize it for the classic it is. I'm still waiting. It's 2017, Paul. I'm still waiting. (laughs) I have a lot of fun here at Real Rock, poking fun at things and looking for off-the-wall conspiracy theories that I make up at random. But I feel this movie does have a very powerful, subliminal theme with the Beatles representing the stages of grief. It's important to note that Brian Epstein, longtime manager of the Beatles, passed away on August 27, 1967. This film was shot two weeks later, between September 11th and September 25th. When you know the timeline, it adds an eerie overtone to the Beatles' performances and showcases them at their emotional worst. They just lost one of their best friends and now they're going to have cameras shoved in their faces. Paul submerges himself into his work. He easily has the most screen time and is really played director for the entire film. It's as if he feels that if he takes over the role that Brian would have played, everything would be alright. Trying to trade places, even ceremoniously, is classic bargaining. Ringo lashes out at his other family members and is an all-around grouch. He would represent anger. John keeps to himself pretty much and avoids everyone and doesn't seem happy except when he's playing with the child. He represents denial. He wants to carry on in his sardonic way, but you could tell he's just not up to it. George completely retreats, and even his musical segment is a solo affair. This is depression. The film in finality is acceptance. Watching this film as a metaphor for grief, however unintentional, adds a very deep layer to the proceedings. Five stages to grief, which are denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. And right now, out there, they are all denying the fact that they're sad. And that's hard. And it's making them all angry. And it is my job to try to get them all the way through to acceptance. 
And if not acceptance, then just depression. If I can get them depressed, then I'll have done my job. Your reaction to this film will be based fully on what you're expecting when you begin watching it. If you go into this film searching for a great comedy, you will hate this movie. If you haven't seen it or plan on watching it again, get a friend and talk amongst yourselves during the non-musical segments. I'll give you a topic. Rhode Island. Discuss. My original notes for this film was bullshit song, bullshit song, you get the picture. But in all fairness, the music videos are pretty fucking great. Current Rotten Tomatoes score is 58%, and while I hate to agree with the consensus, I feel it's accurate. The official Real Rock rating is 3 out of 5. Got a problem with that? Email me at realrockpodcast at gmail.com. That's R-E-E-L rockpodcast at gmail.com. A special thanks to Amy Schwartz of Amy Schwartz Travel for helping me in this episode. And Aunt Jessie. If you're planning a trip, please go to amyshortstravel.com. There's a link in the show notes. I'm Andy King, and this has been Real Rock. of social injustice. Oxfam America works with people in more than 90 countries to save lives, develop long-term solutions to poverty, and campaign for social change. And we do it with the help of our friends in the music world. The Beatles were Oxfam supporters back in the day. So were the Stones. And through the years, musicians and music fans have helped Oxfam push hard to work for a just world without poverty. Folks like Radiohead, Coldplay, Pearl Jam, DJ Shadow, and many, many more have encouraged their fans to join the effort. You can too. Go to OxfamAmerica.org to learn how you can help. Real Rock is produced by DIY and House Studios and is a part of the Rock and Roll Archaeology Project. Real Rock is written by Andy King. All commentary and opinions are that of the host. All sound design and incidental music by Busy Signal Studios. Playlists can be found at Spotify. Purchase these great and important tracks. All songs, clips, and references can be found on our show notes. Please visit rockandrollarchaeology.com for more information.